Welcome to the Black Hat Chat podcast with Lee Johnson and Reverend Kai, a weekly show about living as a modern crafter where two witches discuss a variety of topics concerning magic and witchcraft. You can also catch us live on Fridays on YouTube. The links are in the description of the podcast or in the about section. So grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea and let's begin. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, good people around the world. Welcome to all of our Black Hatters. <laughs> How is everybody today? Let us know in the chat. And uh, just the usual stuff, if you haven't checked out the link in the description, the link tree for Black, Black Hat Chat, please do so. Uh, you'll find Wildwood Temple Discord server in there where you can continue all of the discussions. And you'll also find our Patreon where you can support us and get a, a good laugh every now and again and some serious stuff with our What's on the Telly um, uh, reviews. And please give us a thumbs up. It helps the algorithm. And also, if, you are, if your chat is on top chat, just change it to live chat uh, so it doesn't filter stuff out. All right. I think I've covered all the bases there. And the Black Hat Chat is a show we do every Friday where two witches get together around the proverbial kitchen table and talk about magic and such things. That's it. That's it. And I'm Lee, and that's Kai. See, if I do this, I know one of them's right. (laughs) One of them's right. Yep. And I can just say the right one, and it's still right. (laughs) You don't know. This is right. (laughs) Uh, yeah. uh, well, for those of you listening uh, to the podcast, it really doesn't matter which way we're sitting and trying to point. So. This is true. This is true. Uh, if you are if you are listening, if you are, if you listen to this regularly on the podcast, you should come and join us in the chat on Friday. Uh, it's most fun. And if you can't make the live uh, chats, come and talk with us um, on our Discord server. So yeah, all the the links for that, the invite link for that, is in our link tree which is down in the description. We also have some live gatherings once a month, sometimes more than once a month, on Saturdays on our Discord server. So if Friday's not your day, so, Sundays. Sundays. It's close. <laughs> they are on Sundays. They are on Sundays. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. But if you can't make the lives on Fridays, maybe you can join us for Hearthfire Chats on Sundays. Yes. Uh, so look, Lou said, uh, I'm good, thanks, and you guys, uh, we're good, thank you. Yeah. And uh, Richard said, doing good, thanks, and you, Lee, I'm good. Finally, Friday, been waiting for this day all week. <laughs> and Deb also said, I'll wait for this day. Yeah. It is fun, I do enjoy this. Yes. What's uh, better than being able to get together with your witchy friends for a cup and some rambling conversation? <laughs> Yeah. Which is exactly yeah. why we some, do this show. <laughs> some interesting stuff. Uh, Lou's joke. What was your joke again, Lou? Just tell us in the chat. 
surprise to him this week. Oh, yes, I do have a joke. <laughs> so, what does a witch do when she's tired? Don't know. She sits down do for a spell. Tired? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh, yeah, you and Lou should get together. He's got the worst jokes ever. <laughs> uh, here we go. How do you know that you are in a not well-managed desert? Darud sandstorm. Wow. That's an obscure and dad joke. Two points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we charge him money for the bad jokes, so <laughs> we get quite rich. <laughs> Usually it's having Lady to Kipper pay is here. Hello, hello. Yeah. Glad you all could join us this Kipper. week. Yep. All right, so shall we get to the Blackout Chat Show? Yep. Um, Today we are we are talking about advice for the new witch. Um, I already have two questions from you, Landy. Shall I ask? Shall we start with those? Yes. Yeah. Um, so something you want to speak about first? Before we start, I highly suggest that everybody take a few minutes to either write down or put in the chat any questions that spring to mind. I'm sure there will be more questions as we go and more conversation, but those first fresh questions that you've been carrying around you know for a bit but had nobody to ask i'm always fascinated by those because i think those are some of the best questions because they come from uh the the perceptions we build up you know of being a new witch and frankly lee and i are not new witches anymore <laughs> and i am well you're on a new path again <laughs> and we all experience being on new paths but just that that early energy of not not having a good lay of the land mm. of how just not knowing where to turn right of knowing how all this stuff works which that's a one-time learning thing even though you may be going down several different paths so mm. pop those in the chat yeah. hopefully i've rambled long enough that you've had time to <laughs> write them down, pop them in the chat, that sort of thing. Yeah. Jonathan is here. Hello, Jonathan. Hello. Um, and I'd just like to add, really, really, there are no stupid questions. Um, people usually don't ask questions because they think they're stupid or they're going to look stupid if they ask them. Absolutely. Don't do that. that Definitely ask them because that's one of if my... you're not asking them, yeah, if, yeah. If, if you're not asking them, there are a hundred other people that are not, ask, not asking it either. And those hundred people need to know. Yeah, yeah that's one of my points um, on our, our list to talk about today. Oh, okay. So, All right. We'll Covered get that. that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's, go, let's have a look at the first question then. How do I choose a path and how do I know I'm on the right path? Those are big ones I hear quite often, quite often. Well, and, I, think, I think it's a big fear. Well, the answer is you don't and you don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, early on, uh, there's no way you can acquire enough information to choose the 
correct, applicable path without going down it. Straight up. You're going to have to go down it. You're going to have to do um, some exploration and some experience in order to figure out if the path you're on is in alignment with what you need at the time. And that's a good enough answer for correct because it's not forever. Um, it will adapt. It will change. You will find new doors. You will find new gods. You will find new spirits and new ways of working. And stuff will change. And you may come back full circle at some point and get back where you started. Um, but there is a right time and a right place and a wrong time and a wrong place. And um, I, I have collected proverbs all of my life. And I have a collection of proverbs and sayings that I always think apply to witchcraft. And one of my favorites is better a red cap on the right road than a green cap on the wrong road. So, um, a red cap is a poisonous mushroom. But mm. it's also often a, a kenning for um, a challenge. Um, something you have to overcome. Something that sets you back. And a green cap is an edible, tasty, nurturing mushroom. Not really, don't go eat green mushrooms. <laughs> it's a kenning. Because <laughs> um, they're also not necessarily talking about mushrooms. Uh, but, so, better the challenge, the hard work, on the right road than the easy way on the wrong road. Which means you're going to have to go down some wrong roads to figure out what they are. You know, the map is not the territory. And even though guides and teachers and mentors and people who write books and everybody who is just pouring out their knowledge of the craft to share it with everyone else, um, they can't experience it for you. And they can't make the call about, is this correct? Is this resonating? Is this the right thing at the right time for the right person? So you have to. I think one of, one of the. Go ahead. Sorry, carry on. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think one of the big, biggest problems is the, the, the being, being overwhelmed part. Mm. Because, you know, you get attracted to a path and. You just get bombarded with so much information. I I know. I mean, this is actually a good show for me as well because uh, I can speak from personal experience in the present moment. Although I do have the experience of how what happened previously, so I know how to put things together. But I'm starting down this new path and trying to formulate a practice, um, something I can do in the morning. You know, my meditations and what have you there, which fits into this path. And there's just so much information, I don't know which way to turn. Mm. So the yeah. one thing I decided this week was to stop everything I was doing, well, I thought I was doing, and add one thing. Mm. And then keep reading and studying, and then I can add another thing. Just add it slowly, build it up like a house. You build a foundation, and then you build the rest of the house. Don't build a foundation, the house is going to fall down. Um, 
So it is really just slowing down and knowing that you, it's, it's not a fast food restaurant. It's not instant coffee. You can build it slowly. And yes, you are going to go down other paths at the same time. Um, you're going to be attracted to something else that comes along and you're going to learn more information. Um, and then that's just going to add to your pile. But, you know, there's no right or wrong answer, I suppose. Well, I also think that the idea of a correct path is something that is carried over from a foreign worldview. Um, mm. That's not a thing in what I consider an indigenous worldview, or we might call a, a witchcraft worldview, because witchcraft is a huge, huge umbrella of stuff, right? But there's a lot of things that are in common mm. there. Um, you know, so the idea that there is a correct way is not part of that worldview. There is good for you at the time. That doesn't always mean correct either. Um, mm. you know, and as a reader, I do have a lot of people come to me and ask these kinds of questions. Am I on the right path? And there's no answer to that in my understanding mm. of the way the world works there's is this benefiting you or is this harming you and is that short term or long term you know because sometimes we do things that harm us short term for long term gains like working out you know, lifting weights yeah. hurts your muscles but you build mm. back stronger and sometimes that's what you're looking for in a past sometimes it's not and you can't answer most of that until you've digested it, until you've looked back mm. and you've assessed and that sort of thing. So, you know, um, I, I know that many of us come to the path, come to the craft with a lot of these ideas. And I'm going to say the biggest advice I have for a new witch is deconstruct and rebuild your worldview which that's a short little sentence but that's a shit ton of work um mm. and it's not a short thing either but the reason i would add it as advice for a new witch is i think a lot of people don't get to it till they're 10 15 20 years into it and then they start to realize oh hey you know um this is this is something i really need to go in and examine or taking this back to its roots, it doesn't work, stuff starts to fall apart. You know, sometimes it happens sooner than that, but it's not something most people are doing early on. And part of the problem is it leads to um, really bad interactions with other people who are in similar places. It leads to things like eclecticism and cultural appropriation and, and other stuff like that. Not on purpose, but it's it's the um, side effect of having a base worldview that is out of sync with your practice and your understanding. And those mm. have to be brought into sync. And I don't think um, that examination of what your base assumptions are is happening early enough for a lot of people. Just because mm. that's what I see people talking about. Um, and especially it's what I see people lashing out about 
you know, I think one of the first things we learn on any magical path is know thyself. Spend some time looking in that mirror. And if you don't do that, what happens when you have this worldview out of sync with your practice is you get pissed about it because it doesn't line up. It doesn't match. And if we're not examining the self, if we're not in a position to receive constructive feedback and and that sort of thing to bring those into alignment, we will just yell at other people about it because the other people are the triggers of our dissonance and dissonance upsets us. And instead of reflecting it back and realizing, oh, I got to, you know, move stuff around, we'll just continually yell at other people about it. Mm. And whether that's magic or not, you know, any kind of adjustment like that. Mm. All right, better get over to the chat because it's starting to pile up. Um, uh, Lady Capera, I have a question for Rev Kai about astrology. You haven't asked it yet. Come on, Lady Capera. <laughs> Eonian is here. Eveth's son is here. Hello, how are you? Hello, hello. And Acerbic Manx, I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. Acerbic. Uh, never stopped by Acerbic. Um, never stopped by a stream before. I'm a bit shy, but hello. No problem. If you got any questions, just glad drop you can, them in the chat. Yeah, glad um, you can join us. I know, yeah. I'll say don't be shy. I know how much of a terrible bit of advice that is, but really. Just say, you know, share your questions if it's the chat. Absolutely. And your opinions. I'm also shy, by the way. So <laughs> everybody goes, yeah, right. You're on a stream. <laughs> I'm an introvert. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, uh, Dev asked, uh, so we create our own path according to the knowledge we obtain. We do eventually. And a lot of people will stick to a particular tradition um, and they will continue with that tradition without diverting from it. Um, but I think a lot of people will go down various paths and take bits and pieces and construct their own at the end of the day. There is tradition and then there is personal practice. Everybody mm. has a personal practice and everybody's practice is personal. Mm. Um but many people also choose to walk a traditional path, meaning that this is a, a form and a repeatable um, set of praxis and sometimes belief also that can be passed from one person to another. Every person interacting with that has a personal path that that is part of, but usually is not the whole story and everybody's interaction is going to be their own understanding and their own relationship to that past so it's not going to be the same but the traditions the teachings the lore whatever you want to call that that's the passed on bit and i think a lot when we start talking about path this or path that um, there's a couple of different ways to interpret that word i know there are some circles of pagans i run with that like you can't say that word because it's so overused mm -hmm. and understood in so many different ways so i know we're back to semantics again about is it wiccan is it witch is it healer is it sorceress you know and that's just to show that our language doesn't really adequately encompass the variety 
of understandings and nuance that we need to discuss this big umbrella that is witchcraft. And I think path is one of those. Uh, but especially when we talk about creating our own path, sometimes we're saying that meaning developing your personal praxis. And sometimes that's understood in, I've been into witchcraft for 15 months, it's time for me to write a book about my tradition. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's, that's not, I don't think that's good advice. I don't think a tradition is grown by a single witch or even in a single generation. Yeah. You know, new traditions do grow um, and old traditions do die out. Absolutely. But they have a longer lifespan than we do. So, um, you know, even when Gardner created Wicca, it did not fully flesh out until it was midwifed through the hands of many, many others and, and developed. It did not um, reach its maturity in Gardner's lifetime. You know, so mm -hmm. I, I, something to keep in mind, I don't object to the use of path, but I think it's important to realize that it's used in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and I think, I think if somebody um, does follow a particular tradition strictly, um, they will also get information from different traditions and different practices and cultures. And quite often that often helps to explain particular things within their own tradition because um, you know I mean I've had a I'm battling to understand something and then I read something from Castaneda or whoever it is and it's worded differently it's termed differently they use different um, a different word to actually describe the whole thing but it's explaining the same thing and it actually it clicks for me then um, so you, you can be following a tradition but learn from all these others and help to understand your own tradition better, I think. I'd say comparative religion and mythology are important um, key building learning skills to help you understand, you know, your mm -hmm. the exploration of a new path being a tradition, a passed on thing. But also, um, don't end up in an interpretatio romana. Um, don't just translate everything into another worldview because mm. that doesn't actually that's not actually the practice of that tradition um you know so comparative religion and mythology is helpful but that's a, a study mm. and a widening of knowledge the answers to the understanding of individual traditions are not always necessarily outside of that tradition. Um, in fact, what you describe as being able to go somewhere else and have it click and understand, I always think of as like just the beginning understandings. Because usually uh, you go back into the tradition and deeper into the worldview as you gain more and more knowledge and eventually you come back to understand it in a different way that's more nuanced. I'm not saying it's not the same. But mm. it's it's more nuanced because of the richness of context around it. So you know everything's everything's nuanced and subtle. There's no black and white answers here because mm. we're humans mm. being human. We try. Um, we never every now and again. We we kind of skipped over the first part of, of Yolandi's question. 
how do you choose a path? Um, uh, and um, pick up the thing that's shiny is honestly the best advice I can give. Um, something will be the squirrel, be the dog. Something will attract your attention. <laughs> uh, sometimes people say it calls to you. Um, and people are like, well, I don't know if it's really called. It doesn't have to be like, you know, uh, Metatron speaking to you in the middle of the night with the midnight sun to be called to a path. It can be reading a book and going, that's a really pretty sarcophagi mask. I want to read more about that. That's enough. Mm. <laughs> go read, go research, it's, go experience. It doesn't yeah. have to be like this big, huge call. It might be, and that's okay. But, but don't get hung up on quantifying <laughs> the thing that attracts your attention. Just follow the thing that attracts your attention. And um find context you know if if something calls you um go in that direction and and dive deep and and learn about the culture and learn about where it comes from and everything else and you may feel further and further pulled into that you may find more and more shinies the call may get more and more significant or you may spend three days researching about this really cool mask and then eh and that's okay too, you know, anywhere between those two extremes. Um, and if you just get to that, eh, I'm not really interested in it, whether it's three days or three months or three years, find the next shiny thing and, and see yeah. where that takes you. Always remembering that um, you don't pick up the shiny thing and take it home. You look at the context of where you found it. You explore and dig deeper into that. See it as a doorway, not as a trinket you can take with you. Mm. Um, you know, Andy said, I think a major problem is that there are so many people who judge you. I've been told that I am a disgrace to pagans by a person claiming she is a healer. Oh, I can relate to that. I was not too long ago, I was told that I'm a disgrace to witchcraft because I gave a discount on my healing. <laughs> um, those people are out there. They're always going to be out there. Our souls are everywhere. And, yep. and, and people with um, trauma and bullshit that they haven't worked out that they'd love to project onto someone are also everywhere. And mm. um, like we talked about before, paganism attracts broken people. Because it is mm. clearly a source of healing it is a return to the mother goddess right and so um new converts to any religion there is a higher percentage of people with trauma and um, unhealed issues and all sorts of stuff because that's part of what makes people change religion and seek something out new um so but i find that it is not readily addressed in a lot of paganism when people are entering with this unhealed trauma instead the behavior is upheld because it it becomes a defense mechanism instead of you know opening the wound and cleaning it out it just scabs over and becomes this wall you can't tell me what to do my opinions are law so on and so forth so you know there's a lot of stuff out there and 
I don't think judging people is bad, because I think that's some Christian worldview hang-up. We all have to judge people all the time. Evaluation of your surroundings is a key component of survival. Um, but if you're going to call yourself a healer, and you're going to tell people that they're a disgrace to paganism, perhaps you should help them heal that. Mm. But nine times out of ten, uh, just let that shit roll off your back. I, I will say there are people that are a disgrace to paganism. Absolutely. They're white supremacists and they're racists. And they call themselves pagan, they call themselves heathen, and they, they do not deserve the name. Not in the least. But, you know, unless you're committing one of those human sins, then just ignore people. They're stupid. Yeah. And yeah. everything everybody says is about them. True. Yeah, just uh, projecting. Yeah. Looking in the smoking mirror. And, you know, um, the online world... As uh, we used to say, requires flame retarded panties because people are even more assholes when the accountability of face to face interaction is removed. So yeah. the internet is not a comfy place of acceptance and learning, it's a dangerous minefield of misinformation, uh, assholes, trolls, and scammers. <laughs> if you if you can navigate your way through those terrible woods, you can find pockets of nice places. But, you know, be be honest with yourself about what the online world really is. And what kind of dangers <clears throat> there are when the accountability of being face-to-face -face is removed. Yeah. Yep, they're all over the bloody place. Um... All right, Richard asked, does that mean most start out eclectic until they find a path that resonates with them? I think that's what a lot of people um, end up calling it. I think it then becomes syncretic once you start understanding all the bits and yeah. pieces. Yeah, I kind of define eclecticism as the scooping the cherries off the top of everyone's ice cream sundaes. You know, it's just taking small bits, but especially when you're new, that's what it can feel like. Because you're spending a week diving into this Egyptian stuff and then the, the shiny dries up. And then you spend a month getting into this Celtic mythology and then that's not it. And so then you go over here and so on and so forth. And I do think that, again, here we are at two different terms for eclectic like two different terms for path. Early on, when you're exploring and sampling everything at the buffet, yeah, that falls under the umbrella of eclectic. But if you don't realize that you're sampling, if you think you're building a tradition out of that, that's the kind of eclecticism that I don't think is actually healthy. And I think one of the biggest problems is all the, the well, not all, but uh, a lot of the modern books that we find nowadays have been built on eclecticism. Um, so somebody who comes along reads the book and thinks that whole thing is a tradition, but it's just bits and pieces taken from here and there without actually understanding where they're coming from and 
understanding yeah. the basis of them. That's the big thing. The eclecticism that I just I don't think is healthy is the one without understanding, the one without context. Because mm. syncretism absolutely does happen. And traditions morph and change over time, you know, and cultures borrow from one another. Cultural exchange is a huge part of um, the evolution of magic. It's one way we can trace where it is in history. It's fascinating. Um, but it has to happen with context. It's when it happens without context. Oh, I saw this symbol. I'm going to make it mean. And then it is passed on like it's a tradition. Mm. And that's that's not cool man um that leaves people thinking that they are connecting to a tree that has no roots and cannot bear fruit because there are no there's no context you know mm. no um deb asks where does one find these traditional practices to follow everywhere <sighs> Yeah, that's that is a difficult one because you can find it in books on YouTube on here, there, and everywhere. But at the same time, you've got to try and sift through all the the garbage to try and get to the the meaty stuff, the good meaty stuff, and not the terrible meaty stuff. Um, yeah. And it can be difficult. That's why you know you know join a community with people who um, are well practiced, well versed. Um, and then you can bounce some ideas off. You can check sources. Um, you know, if anybody's heard of them and they're really not that good, then somebody will be able to tell you. Uh, I think that's probably the easiest way. Well, before the internet, we always said traditional practices are found amongst traditional practitioners. Mm. You got to talk to people. Um, I know we've had the explosion of books, and I've been in many an argument with people that I don't think you can learn everything there is about the craft from a book. And other people mm. say you absolutely can. Everything, all the secrets are printed now, and it's all in books, and I I just don't believe so. Um, but you have to experience them. You have to, yeah, you have to experience them. But you have to connect with people. Um you know, there are absolutely solo practices. Just because you have to connect with people doesn't mean you have to join a coven or anything like that, or you even necessarily have to take on like formal training or anything, but you have to connect with people. Um, you have to talk to people. You have to talk to traditional practitioners. And that's one of those things mm -hmm. that is about, um, asking questions you don't find out that somebody uh, can open the doorway to a tradition for you unless you ask questions you don't connect with people unless you engage and i think the the christian worldview don't question this don't ask don't question your elders um, that has been brought over is so antithetical to the practice of any craft that is dangerous you know um you got to do whatever you can to deprogram that and let that go because the only way you find out is asking questions um mm. you know the the black man with the feather in his cap is not going to walk up to you on main street and be like hey you want to be initiated 
you know it doesn't yeah. doesn't necessarily happen like that so you have to engage with things um you know if you read a book and you really really like the author's um way of explaining things contact them ask questions uh see if they offer classes which a lot of them do these days because that's their way of of continuing to have that dialogue you know mm. um if the author is passed away trace it see who's still following those practices talk to them you know it may just be pen pals um or occasional phone calls or chats around a coffee table uh it doesn't always have to be formal training uh, that's not necessarily part of the tradition for lots of traditional practices but you'll never find them if you don't go ask questions of people mm. Um, let's do Jonathan's question and then I think we'll go for a break. Um, so Jonathan asked, cultural appropriation was also mentioned when you were discussing runes three weeks ago. How much stock should a new witch put into more experienced witches telling them to just stay in their own lane? I think that covers a variety of different questions, actually. Um... You know, when it comes to cultural appropriation, a lot of new witches don't realize they're doing it oh, because yeah. they pick up sources from people who have done it and it's never mentioned. Um, the whole bit thing with cultural appropriation is just taking from other cultures um, and without even understanding where it came from, their history, their ancestry. Well, that's eclecticism. Um, yeah, I know, but not having that respect for them. Cultural appropriation, to not to do it. Yeah, cultural appropriation involves two um, distinct aspects that the individual practitioner is not in control of. The first is the mm. oppression of the culture to appropriate from. Right? So there is a culture, um, we're just going to use dreadlocks as an example. Right? Um, black people wear their hair in dreadlocks. In the United States, Black people um, are disbarred from jobs because they have dreadlocks. Their hair is considered unprofessional. They are not allowed to wear dreadlocks in a court of law if they're a lawyer, that sort of thing. Um, kids have had their locks cut off in schools by white teachers because they thought their hair was unprofessional or against a dress code. So here is the oppression of that cultural practice, right? The the overarching culture says you can't do this or we will deny you things from this. The cultural appropriation is then a privilege class in that doing that thing and profiting from it. So this would be mm -hmm. like um, a white pop singer wearing dreadlocks and selling albums and being praised because of their edgy look. That's cultural appropriation, okay? The way that new witches and people who are not famous and making money off of it often engage in it is by supporting that practice, that whole cycle of things. And that's usually what people are calling out as cultural appropriation when somebody is new. And it's often because they are lacking that context to understand what's going on or history 
of what's going on in mm. that it may be a historical thing where the oppression was happening but it's not anymore you know but there's still there's still this line there's still pain involved so um you have to find what the context is and i would generally say we're out of the realm of the internet <laughs> if you have a more experienced witch um that you trust and that's a big part of it and they're telling you hey don't do this i would suggest you listen because you've just identified them as more experienced right so to me that means they probably know what they're talking about the way you describe them but there's also plenty of online forums where people want to put on airs or even not necessarily put on airs and dogpile on for all sorts of stuff and we are in the age of um, the outrage machine that's what drives most of our social media right and so you have to consider that in an online situation generally somebody more experienced tells you hey this is a minefield I would believe them at least and go looking for it but um there is a lot of weird ass gatekeeping and overreaction white knighting about corporal cultural appropriation that happens like on TikTok and instagram and stuff that i think is just stupid it's they're calling out something that isn't cultural appropriation and they're acting like because it could be that any engagement with it is terrible White Sage is one of the ones that comes to mind. You know, there was this this thing for a while that nobody who's white should be using White Sage. Well, you know, part of it is smudging is a sacred ceremony to certain tribes, and not anybody can do it. So the idea that anybody could go to, you know, the head shop and buy a bundle of White Sage and they were smudging was offensive because that's not what that word means. But people all over the world have been using smoke cleansing and fumigating as part of their magical practices in tons and tons of cultures. So part of it was the term, part of it was engaging in this um, practice where Native Americans were not allowed to practice their religious ceremonies until 1979 or later in many areas in the US. And here were shops selling white sage bundles it's also endangered in order to make a profit off of this practice that the native american people still can't do so that's mm. a, a recent history but there are ethical ways to engage in that one is not to use white sage if you can't obtain it ethically use something else um you know at most um indigenous fumigation practices involve something that is abundant in the environment local plants but also there are native american craftsmen and women that make white sage bundles that they have ethically grown and sell them for a profit and that's a wonderful way to engage in that cycle because you're supporting the people that are actually doing the thing and experience the oppression of it and you're still getting to connect with the culture and practice it and connect with the land and guess what if that's what calls you you have a person to talk to and ask questions and engage so you know i think cultural appropriation is absolutely hurled around as a gatekeeping thing um and 
that's not cool. But there are lots of things to be mindful of. And, you know, where we fall in that cycle of oppression and privilege and so on and so forth, we don't have a choice in that. We didn't get to choose um, how we were born and what class and race and um, uh, geography we were born into and the culture that's going on over it. Whether we agree with the oppression or not or participate in it or not is not our choice. That's part of where we're living and what's going on, you know. So those cycles, those are big, huge cycles, and it's about how we choose to engage with them. Do we participate in that cycle of harm and oppression, or do we find another way to engage that doesn't harm people? Because usually there's a lot of different answers, and again, the answer is go ask someone who is experienced in that. You know, um, ask the elders of those traditions, and usually they're out there talking about it. Um, usually, mm. you know, there are books, there are speeches, there are those sorts of things that you can access to learn about that. Um, and then the other part is, don't go gatekeeping other people's shit. <laughs> don't take the mic when it doesn't belong to you. You know, and that's what I see happening a lot um, on TikTok, on Instagram more so on TikTok because I think the the being able to actually yell at your screen thing makes the call outs more fun for people. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, that that doesn't help anybody. Yes, it, it's it's appropriate when you see somebody walking into the minefield that they may not know about because they're new to grab them and go, hey, like this, don't get don't get involved in this or um, you don't know enough to have opinions about this yet. You know, mm. that's reasonable. But to just be um, exercising your privilege and screaming over the people that are actually in the harm part of that cycle of things, uh, that's not cool. And then the weird, weird debate that happens primarily among white women um, because of the, the culture uh, that many white women have been raised in of just yelling at each other for doing the wrong thing again and again and again and again that turns into this gatekeeping nightmare. That's not cool either. So I know cultural appropriation is one of those trigger words that sets off a whole bunch of feelings about a bunch of stuff because it's a big complex mess and nobody wants to be out there doing the thing that makes them the racist, you know, mm. really. I mean, good people are not engaging it from that standpoint. But we also have to remember that impact trumps intent. We can love in our hearts and intent all over everything exactly the way it was, but that doesn't mean that's the way it comes off because of context. You cannot divorce all of this stuff from context. And that's what cultural appropriation really is about. Being aware of the big picture of what's going on. So, mm -hmm. eh, that tangent, I hopefully I explain I that. <laughs> yeah, very well. Um, I think the main thing is if somebody is telling you, do not do this or do not go down that path, um, ask them why. Mm. So that you can, you can learn to understand why they're saying that. If they cannot explain it to you, then just move on. Oh, yeah. Um, but 
But I mean, speaking personally, if I see somebody going into that minefield, I'll say, this is, could be a problem because of X, Y, and Z. This is what people are saying, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now you've got all the information. It's your decision to make. Um, but yeah, just ask why. Because uh, they might, you know, they might literally be grabbing you and tr pulling you back before you explode in this minefield. Um, and not getting the chance to actually explain. So just, you know, start a conversation. Have uh, have a dialogue with with the person. Um, yeah. But as I said, if they if they can't if they can't explain why, they're just rambling on and saying, oh, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. You cannot do this. You cannot do that. And that's bullshit. But also yeah. be mindful that um, don't ask oppressed people to educate you. You know. Yeah. You can ask why especially if it's somebody that you are sharing uh, a mutual class with in the hierarchy of, of all the social things. Um, but if somebody's calling something out um, and they are calling out because they are the ones affected by it and oppressed by it, um, they don't necessarily owe you an education. They're probably calling it at a time of pain and trauma. That's how that happens. Um, and they're experiencing mm -hmm. it in a much, much more magnified way than you are. So, you know, um, usually nine times out of 10, it just takes a few minutes of digging to figure out what's going on. Google, you can Google things. You can look up that person if they are a public educator and read their works or their website or something like that, or just look up what they're talking about. See what other people are saying. Dig deep, do the work yourself. Mm -hmm. All right, should we take a break? We'll yeah. be back. In a couple or a few minutes, we've got to watch the funny, the funny thing. Lee's wonderful editing. This is all Lee. I still need to do another one. Yep. yep. <laughs> all right. Be back right. in a few. See you just now. Welcome back to the Luck at Jet, everybody. Uh, we are talking about, well, doing advice for new witches today. All right, let's get straight back into the chat and the questions. Um, Thank you for all Lou, these Lou questions. Asked, yeah, we, we like it when there's lots of questions. Yeah, this is great. Uh, we have something to talk about without going on too many tangents and, you know, <laughs> up here and off there. Um, Lou, Lisa, so we've got to be crows to find our way. Yeah, got to find all the shiny things. That's my favorite um, explanation, but you may you may wish to uh, take the analogy in another way that makes more sense to you. Follow uh, the dopamine. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I, I was I was born and raised until I was ten in England, and uh, there's a, a bird over in the UK that likes to go around because the milkman puts the milk bottles outside and they've got the silver tops, and there's a little bird that likes to go around and pick the pick holes in the top. And uh, it's called a blue tit. And when I was a kid, I got, I got, oh, I was in so much trouble because the teacher was telling us about blue tit, and I was going, oh, tit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of course. That was a naughty little shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Midnight blue witch. Uh, for me, it's something that feels very comfortable or comforting. Yeah. Yeah, that can be. Yeah, what? it does kind of feel like that. 
what leads you. I know a lot of people I hear say it feels like coming home. And that's, mm. that's a great sign when you find that. And usually that, that feeling is pretty early on. Um, I, I've definitely experienced that many times, um, different traditions and paths over the years, you know, and then later it's not the right place for me. So, um, things change over time. And sometimes you do find something that's uncomfortable, which you actually need at the time because it's got something to teach you. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah, sometimes, smooth roads and bumpy roads. Sometimes the experience is not about getting on a path for the lifetime. Sometimes the experience is about the experience. Mm. You know, and the only way you know that is looking back. And I say that as someone who reads a lot of tarot cards for a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> Hindsight is twenty twenty, you know that mm. it, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, to quote Cochrane. You don't mm. know it works until you're looking back, which sucks, but at least when no. you have that, I don't know, I should check this feeling. You know that you are staring at the same moon as every other human on the planet, so mm. <laughs> there's you've, that. You've got to get the experience. You've got to get the experience before you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can ask a hundred people, should I go on this path? And you'll get so many varied answers. Or you can ask one person, should I go down this path? And they'll say yes or no. It's not their decision to make. You've got to go and experience it. Mm -hmm. Get the experience and the knowledge and bring that back and then say, well, that wasn't the path for me or I like that path, you know? It's the only way you know. Mm -hmm. Um... Jonathan asks, I'm not a fan of chaos magic. I figure it will hurt a witch's long-term potential. That said, wouldn't you agree chaos magic can be powerful, achieve fast results, and relies heavily on eclecticism? Um, this has been a big gripe of mine for quite a while, Jonathan. The problem with chaos magic today is that everybody thinks it is eclectic. Um, you know, they will just take stuff left right and center and go oh this looks nice oh i think i can do this um you know they don't even know what they are talking about most of the time with chaos magic what you i'm not going to say it's supposed to do because that would probably be wrong what chaos mage is trying to do is get a deep understanding of each path and when they venture down each path, it comes with its own value. And that value can, at a later stage, come up again, in which case they will then switch to that path. But when I say switch, I mean they immerse themselves in that path. So they may go down a path, and it may be a year, it may be two years, but they completely immerse themselves in that path. So if they find that... Um, uh, traditional witchcraft may have something for them, or Hinduism may have something for them, or Buddhism. They immerse themselves. They become the Buddhist. They don't just stay this and go, I think this is quite interesting. I'm going to play around with it. They actually become that thing. And they immerse themselves in it. They understand it. And then they bring that knowledge back. And that's not a criticism, but it is syncretic what they bring back. Um, but, you know, nowadays it's just become this mishmash of all stuff. Well, Ugh. I honestly think um, eclecticism became a bad word. People didn't want to be called eclectic. And they adopted 
uh, chaos magic is the word. Oh, I'm not I'm not doing eclecticism and doing chaos magic. And I completely agree with Lee. The the method of chaos magic originally, you know, Peter Carroll and, and early stuff is total immersion. But it is also the idea that you don't have to be on a single path for your entire life. You can practice this deeply for some time and you may then practice something else deeply for some time. And um, I don't think it relies on eclecticism. I think it relies on an understanding of the um, base worldview that allows the practice of various traditions within that worldview. And mm. the base worldview of chaos magic, you know, fun we, there's a lot of stuff in there about how does magic function? What are these four components? It is a deconstruction and rebuilding of a worldview um, into chaos magic. And I don't think um, following that as it is originally laid out is uh, necessarily damaging. I, I'm curious why you say it will hurt a witch's long-term potential. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, but I also see this stuff called chaos magic that I think is eclecticism, just trying to change names. And I don't think that's actually chaos magic. And I think that is um, obviously not a viable path in magic and can actually be damaging to the person and those around them who practices it if they happen to blunder into a big screw-up. That's the thing about eclecticism is it's not a guided path and it's not a path with context so it's almost like walking blindfolded you don't really know what you're doing and what you're playing with it's like going into the chem lab and being like well you know zinc argon heat that looks cool you know um so but i also understand that the way terms are used and, and um, what is called what is um, a matter of great debate, <laughs> of which we yeah, already I mean, did a show on. Thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, we 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 use words all the time, and I mean, we said it before. You know, somebody can say can call a practice one thing, and I've I've done it myself. I keep seeing this word come up and over and over again. All these people are talking about this thing, and then all of a sudden, I click. Oh, that's why I call X, Y, and Z. Yeah, and, um, it's just a, a different term, and if people understand things different ways, terms do shift and change, and and mm. we've got regional use of terms, you know, physical regions, but we've also got internet regions of terms, and you mm. know what what does this mean in this section of TikTok or this section of Reddit or this section of Twitter, and so that's that's a thing too, and. I'm not plugged into all those regions and none of us are, mm -hmm. you know, we're only plugged into so many of them. So that's something to keep in mind too, that, um, you know, it might just be a regional term considering internet regions in that also. And you may need to look more widely to see what it used to be, what other people are using it as that sort of thing. It's confusing. Mm. I, I'm not going to say it's not confusing. I wish it wasn't confusing, but diversity! Yay! <laughs> that's, how, that's how we get new things, is we try new ideas and we have to language it first. So, 
Uh, and also, can can magic um, chaos magic be powerful to achieve fast results? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it can be powerful. I think um, it depends on on the person and the understanding they have. And I mean, if they're tapping into chaos energy itself um, and understanding what that is, you know, they can do. Um, but achieve fast results. That's usually in reference to sigil magic. Um, because it's that it is a very easy practice to pick up. Uh, it's one of the usually one of the beginner practices, mm-hmm. um, and it's a nice, quick, easy way of doing things. And you do get you can get fast results. Yeah, I'll also add that I think what often looks like fast results to a lot of people is the product of years of experience and skill building. Yeah, um, yeah. and so that goes both ways. Uh, you know, recognize that people are putting skill behind what they're doing, but also when you're new, you should not have expectations to match those that have 20, 30 years of skill building. That's why we use terms like apprentice, um, you know, master or um, magister. Uh, You know, they're from craft guilds. Not witchcraft, but like masonry and and tanning and that sort of thing. There's a beginning part and and there's a a mastery part of this skill and trade. And a lot of our language, especially in European-influenced witchcraft, that's where that comes from. From that guild model, from that trade system. And so, you know, the apprentice's work takes longer to produce and is not of as high quality as the master's work. And... That's expected because there is a great skill difference there and a great number uh, difference in experience. But that doesn't mean that the apprentice's work is not valuable, mm. you know, and is not part of the process of learning on that path, on, you know, that trade, whatever it is. So I think keeping in mind that that's where a lot of our language comes from in European witchcraft is helpful to understand how it's viewed, that it really is a skill building, a trade building process. Mm. And we also have a spiritual and religious component to it. Um, You know, and so there's a lot of complexities going on in there. Mm. Uh, The People's Library is here. Hello. Hello. Glad you could join us. Uh, Jonathan also said, oh, this is in reference to the cultural appropriation. Thank you very much. That was a brilliant, sophisticated and nuanced answer on cultural respect versus gatekeeping. Really excellent insights. Thanks, guys. It's a pleasure. Um, Dr. Is it Costa? Um, I don't know how to say your name. I'm very sorry. I'm just going to call you Doctor. Um, What do you think of cloth shields? Uh, what do you have in your travel emergency witch kits? Um, cloth shield? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you mean by that term because I can think of a bunch of things that that would apply to. So yeah. um, describe describe a little more for us so we know how you're using the term. Here we are at the, what's that word mean? Exchange. That happens a lot, which is good. Um what do I mm-hmm. have in my travel emergency witch kit? The same thing I have in my other EDC, uh, a knife and a lighter. <laughs> um, 
I'm a really, really practical witch. I also grew up um, with parents that would take me out to the woods and give me a gallon of milk and a knife and be like, see you in four days, good luck. Uh, <laughs> so my emergency kit uh, probably looks a little bit different from other people. Uh, but like when I go, you know, out hiking in the woods and that sort of thing, I carry the supplies of my trade. I carry a knife for harvesting herbs and you never know when you need a knife. I usually have duct tape or band-aids and some kind of antiseptic. Um, I usually have bags for picking up trash, gloves for protecting my hands. I usually have a lighter in case I need to build a fire or something like that, or I just need some charcoal for something. Um, and that's how I do magic. Uh, long ago when I was a new witch, I'd carry like birthday candles and little bits of string and tea lights and packages of herbs and pretty little stones. And um, I never really used them. Uh, but I know other people that carry them and like to set up altars in the woods and use all of those things. And that totally speaks to their craft. Cool. But mine personally is a knife and a lighter and sometimes duct tape and an antiseptic. <laughs> I'm, I'm exciting. <laughs> I need to add some things to mine. I, I mean, I go to the river on Sunday. I take, I've always got a knife. Um, I usually take incense matches to light the incense and uh, a jar of milk. Yeah. Whatever I'm offering, you know. Um, My yeah, offerings are almost always what I'm drinking. So if I'm taking a bottle of water, right. that's what I'm offering. I guess I do have rope with me because I keep um, an 18-foot length of paracord around the handle of my knife that I carry with me all the time. And I mm -hmm. have used that to lay compasses and, and that sort of thing. That's why it's 18 foot with knots in it. Um, but I, I also don't necessarily consider it like my witch cord, even though it could mm -hmm. definitely function as that. Um, but... Uh, just more practical. Yeah, I'm, but you know, like I said, that's me. I'm a very, very practical, get in the dirt kind of person, and I'm an herbalist, mm. and so I'm usually um, probably gonna gather something. I fill my pockets with seeds and and leftover shells and pretty shiny rocks and <laughs> dirt. If I, I, I'm very good about taking a bottle of water, right, and drinking it all and emptying it out and then filling it up with water from wherever I am and carrying it back home and trying to remember not to drink it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I've, I've had a problem because I, I found a, a nice um, branch of wood <laughs> a couple of weeks back, actually. And usually after I've been to the river, I'll just stop at the shop before I go home. Hmm. And I walk. I don't, I don't have a car anymore, so I walk. So... I picked up the first week, I picked up this this branch and I was walking along with it and I'm thinking, I'm going to walk into a shop with this branch. What are they going to think of me? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Wizard! Quite funny what we bring back with us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one time I dragged like a whole giant piece of sandstone home. That was... <laughs> All my brothers that were with me and I was like, help me load this in the truck. They're like, what? <laughs> Lost. 
Please help me load this in the truck. The stone is speaking to me. Okay. <laughs> oh, I've done that. I went, I went to a, a graveyard with some friends once, um, four years back. And uh, walking around was this huge branch. It was beautiful. <laughs> I just kept lugging it back, and I'm like, quick, put it in the car, put it in the car. Because <laughs> it's a graveyard. You're not supposed to take anything. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, all right, let's see. People's library. Any habit that beginners should definitely avoid outside of procrastinating or cursing people around? Um, not asking questions. Not asking questions. That's a bad habit. Yeah. Um, not, not keeping a journal. That's a bad Ooh, habit. I, we all need reminders, thing. but... Um, also within that, avoiding self-examination. Self-examination is uncomfortable. <laughs> um, mm. It is not an easy process. It is a process that bears fruit in the long term. But it is hard to um, get yourself to do it quite early on. Mm. I, hear a, <clears throat> I hear a lot of people lamenting early on that they don't keep the holidays. Or they were a bad witch because they didn't do their full moon ritual, since this is the day after the full moon. And I went to sleep at 9 o'clock last night because it felt like shit, so I totally missed the full moon. Um, those aren't the things you need to worry about procrastinating. The mm. things you need to worry about procrastinating are keeping up with your magical training, whatever that is. Saying, I'll do my meditation another day. you got to keep up with that. I'll do my journaling, my self-examination another day. You've got to keep up with that. Um, yeah, you know. the foundational stuff. Yeah. And that's, I don't think that gets enough emphasis as being like, this is required. This is not optional to do this foundational stuff. It doesn't have to be done in one specific way according to one specific path, but these core components must be completed in order for you to progress in any kind mm. of magic. And I think that, um, you know, that's that's a problem. The other thing I would say to avoid is um, going too fast. Always give yourself a chance to sleep on it. The mind mm. does amazing things when you sleep. The subconscious is allowed to work. We, uh, you know, connect to the collective unconscious. There's lots of ways to explain this. But give your chance, give yourself a chance to sleep on it. And I think when we're new, there's a lot of things that we get uh, super excited about, which is awesome. The wonder of a child discovering new things is always a sacred thing. But sometimes we have to remind ourselves to slow down. And, you know, just one more night, um, just, you know, give yourself some time to absorb and understand and digest things. There's a lot of times I'll read a book for a book club and people will be like, oh, you, you're done? You know, it's two weeks early, I wanna talk about it. Like, nope, I'm still digesting. I'm still letting it percolate, still letting myself understand it. You know, I'm not ready to, to discuss it necessarily. Uh, so there are times, times for digestion and times for analysis and you need both. One other thing I'd add is um, 
be careful of people who tell you that their way is the only way and the right way. Um, it's very attractive for a lot of people who come from the Christian faith um, to follow people like that because that's what they're used to. And that's yeah. why they feel comfortable. Um, but usually those people are going to lead you down a very bad path. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, there is no one way or right way. There is no one way. And run the fuck away from anyone who says there is. No. Um, yeah. I, I would also say um, never give up testing the spirits. Don't just trust everything. Um, mm. You know, don't trust the spirits. Don't trust people. Don't trust books. <laughs> um, question everything. And it's not disrespectful. It's not disrespectful in the least to test the spirits, to question the information, to be a two-year-old that says, why, 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 you know, that, mm -hmm. that is the way to pursue things, in my opinion, because it's the way we learn best. You might annoy the fuck out of your teacher, who is also a human. <laughs> that happens. Mm -hmm. But, um... Especially if you're constantly going, why, 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 why? <laughs> a good teacher will be like, hey, I want to answer your questions, but right now I'm tired or I'm busy or I'm just not in the place to do that, but we will get to them, you know, because I've, mm. I've um, had in-person students that have taken me at my word that they should ask why to everything I say, and they do. <laughs> and sometimes they have more stamina than I do that night. <laughs> And I just have to be like, let's write them down. I'm exhausted. We'll get to them next time. I promise. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so um, don't, don't follow people that won't be questioned. Mm. You know, the funny thing is um, you've, we've, we've questioned people and quite often they'll get annoyed. Um, and because of that, a lot of people think that they should not question the, the gods or the spirits, or whatever it is, um, because they are bigger and they're more powerful. So if people are going to get annoyed, the gods are going to get annoyed. And the, the, the interesting thing there is that they don't. They actually, I mean, I, uh, <laughs> I've had it where the, I've been told, uh, why are you not questioning me? Why are you just taking my word for it? I have um, had that too. You know, yeah, yeah, I mean, they, they want you to be better. So yeah question away yeah. yeah yeah that is absolutely the way and if you get a spirit that says don't question me that ain't safe either that's usually a parasite yeah no. that's that's not a safe relationship do not engage do not go further do some cleansing get some salt you know kind of thing mm -hmm. so yeah um bartholomew pinecone asks what are your morals in magic same as they are in um, life. Do not harm, take yeah. no shit, add good to the world. I always, I always like, um, <laughs> I always come back, whenever I get this, I always come back to uh, Phil Pine's Chaos Magic site, the old one, but it's not up anymore. And there was an article in there that um, said, if you cannot stand up in front of a crowd of family and friends and tell them what you did, don't do it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. I thought that was the best. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of what I stand by. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think about in the heathen worldview, there is no individual. 
So anytime I think of the consequences of my actions, I'm always thinking about how they're going to affect those that I am bonded to. Mm. You know, and, and then the always moral thing, would my dog be happy if he knew I did this? Mm. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. I, I often uh, state my morals as engage in the cycle of abundance. Um, that's one of my primary goals of being alive is engaging in the cycle of abundance. But I, I do have my boiled down version, do no harm, take no shit, add good to the world. You know, which mm. I think is the same thing. But I agree the, you know, if you can't stand up in front of your friends and family and, and explain what you did, don't do it. Mm. Yep, yeah. uh, Dottie's here, Dottie's a psychic. Hi, how are you? Hello. Thanks um, for having us. Okay, now Deb, Deb has got a lot of questions. I'm just wondering if I should do them all at one go, or one at a time. Well, one at a time, <laughs> or we'll we'll lose them, won't we? I don't know. Okay. All right. Let's let's start at the beginning. Uh, when doing spell work, what is the energy source behind work? The elements of nature, a higher intelligence. Uh, it can be everything because everything is energy. Energy flows through all things. Um, so it depends what you choose to work with what you decide to put into that. It could be your own personal energy. It could be the elements. It could be petitioning the energy of a god or a goddess. Or it could be so many things. Well, for going, yeah. since uh, chaos magic is on my mind, it depends upon your model of the universe. Is it an energy mm. model? Is it a spirit model? Uh, is it an information model? So on and so forth. Is it psychological? Um, depends on your tradition what those explanations are. Those are the kinds of things that we find the answers to through epiphany or through um, using the analogies presented in a tradition to explain what's going on. There isn't one right answer because there isn't one right way. Yeah. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> excuse me. Frog's in the throat today again. Uh, the spirits that you feature on Saturdays, Lee, who are their leader, lack of a better word? Uh, those would be the Goethic spirits. Um, their leader is God. <coughs> People always look at me funny when I say that. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah. And obviously, I think go back and have a look at the video I did on Satan versus God, or God versus Satan, I can't remember what I called it now. I explain what I mean by my interpretation of God in there. Um, it is the all-encompassing everything and nothing. Um, is there such a thing as black and white witchcraft? I'm actually going to say yes. Why? Because pe people believe there is. Mm. Whether it actually has any value, no. I mean, it's all just witchcraft and magic. Generally, my my answer, my personal answer, is the craft is a set of tools. You can use a hammer to build mm. a house or cave in someone's skull. It's still a hammer. Um, but. You know, you have a good point about people believe there is. This has been part of the. The dialogue around witchcraft for quite some time. I mean, look into the origins mm. of the racist 
creation of the ideas of black and white witchcraft or black and white magic especially and then how that morphed and so on and so forth so they're not terms that i would use um but mm. my personal understanding is tools are tools it is the user it is the wielder it is the person who determines morality mm. what are they doing with those tools but i'll also I'd rather use Go ahead. I'd rather use the words beneficent and maleficent. Maleficent? Rather than black and black and white or left hand path and right hand path because especially those two they have well, those so many are, different interpretations. Those are totally different things. Yeah. You know, left hand path and right hand um, path and middle path. You know. Those mm. are those are very different terms from black and white magic. Yeah, but people relate them to black and white. Oh, well. In, cer in certain interpretations. That's why I say so many ways to interpret them. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's difficult to actually talk about. Yeah. I was going to say. But I mean. I'll also uh, add a witch who cannot curse cannot cure. Um, hmm. You have to know how to use the tools for good or for ill. You have to learn the skills, even if you do not choose to put them into use in a way that would morally be maleficent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another one from Deb. Satan was described to me as all the elements of nature. Uh, Satan is not a being. Um, yeah, in demonolatry, it's specifically. Um, Satan is considered to be the aspect of ether or spirit. Um, so the, the culmination of the four elements. Um, not a being depends. Again, there are many different interpretations of the word Satan. Um, it is often used as a term, a title. Uh, I consider the um, magic user, the, the person in the circle, to be the, the Satan of their own creation. Um, they are the creator, the creator of everything, so they become the element of spirit. Um, but at the same time, you can call upon Satan as a, an entity. Um, it's very difficult, really. Depends. There's a lot of different interpretations, and there's going to be there's different interpretations from all different paths, from Satanism to Luciferianism to demonolatry. Uh, you've got theistic Satanism and atheistic Satanism. Um, they all have different beliefs. So it depends which path you want to go down. Satan's not a thing in my world, so. <laughs> <laughs> Easy answer on that one. <laughs> um, uh, Jonathan, uh, Did you my skip, comment on chaos uh, magic. Dr. Waugh's question up there? Which one? Uh, can we? Uh, I know rosary is the most common and powerful folk magic tool. Um, a mother's tit is earliest comfort. Do you use this tool? Can we pagans be successful to reclaim the rosary back from the pseudo pagan world's oldest land grabbing Catholic mafia? Who's that? I haven't got that. Yeah, that came through from, from Dr. Wall. So. Um, 
I agree that a, a rosary is a common and powerful folk magic tool in, in a lot of um, areas of the world, whether they're called rosaries or not, although I find a lot of them these days are. Um, I do have malas that I use, um, and I call them malas mm -hmm. because that's how I was introduced to the practice of counting beads for meditation and saying prayers over beads. Mm -hmm. But other people have seen my malas and called them rosaries. Um, and I, I didn't bother me. Um, can we pagans be successful? Sit, blah, try that again. Can we pagans be successful to reclaim the rosary back? I don't think it ever left. Um, mm. I think this is one of those cases of cultural exchange some time ago, or perhaps just the fact that bead counting, necklaces, tools, jewelry are just a common human thing. And they are quite popular in the folk magic of Catholicism. Um, and Catholicism has a lot of folk magic practice inside of it, very much so. I, a lot of people say it's, it's the pagan Christianity. Um, so I don't know um, that we need to reclaim it back because I don't think we ever lost it. Except mm. for those people that we've talked about that are in the... Um, no Christian anything, everything Christian cannot be part of paganism um, stage of things, which a lot of people go through. I think it becomes <clears throat> more that um, humans are humans that do human folk magic-y things in a wide variety of traditions and cultures. And sometimes we lose terms and sometimes practices get subsumed. And it is nice when we can go back and find the more pure forms, um, we think, early on. Uh, but that's not necessarily a good way to conceptualize that. Um, I, I spent many years of my practice in that, that kind of um, mindset of de-Christianizing and removing the Christian influence. And um, while I don't use Christian terms and, and Christian worldviews in my practice, there's still plenty of things that overlap just because humans do human folk magic-y things. Mm. Was the rosary, um, was it called a rosary, that's what I'm trying to say, um, before Catholicism? Or did they just return things? I honestly don't know. Because I know, I mean, it's the mala beads uh, from Hindu and Buddhist practices. Um, but I'm not sure if they just took the beads and decided to call them rosary, or whether they were called that prior to Catholicism. I don't know. There might be. I mean, I have a, a set of meditation beads that are very, very small that are made from the roses from the caskets of my dead ancestors that when I attended their funerals, I collected roses and made rose beads and made this little prayer bracelet, I guess you'd call it, because it's, it's not very big. It's only like that many beads to fill it. Um, and friends who have seen it immediately call it a rosary, even though it doesn't have a cross on it. And it's not, you know, the typical necklace format. But... Mm. So I don't know. I usually refer to them as prayer beads or malas. But again, that's the term I grew up with as I was first introduced to a string of beads that you pray or meditate mm. with. 
you know, so I don't think that, I don't feel like we ever really lost it. Um, uh, we, I'm sure we lost some of the terms as we lost languages. And, you know, for a lot of people, reclaiming terms or finding uh, the words in old languages works better because it changes that conception in our, our mind much better. Uh, humans are pretty bad about once we associate an idea with a word, we have a really hard time moving it and changing it. We do much mm -hmm. better with a new word and a new idea. Um, yeah. So just just the way our, our brains work as language acquiring animals. So. Mm. Actually, seeing this as advice for new witches, if anybody does purchase or obtain a Rudraksh uh, Malabid, you have to condition them. Mm -mm. Yeah, they, um, they need they, some oil they don't, time. They don't, yeah, they, I, um, I mean, the method I found was to um, put them in ghee or, or um, yeah, put them in ghee for 24 hours mm -hmm. and then put them in milk for 24 hours. Uh, and then you can rub them down with vibhuti or if you want to, don't yeah. have to. They do need some sort of oil added to them and that can be um, a variety of things whatever tradition calls for it can be the oils off your hands or off your skin i've known some that say to sleep with them for a month that sort mm -hmm. of thing the thing not to do is to put essential oil on raw beads you will never get the smell out and mm -hmm. they will soak up so much of it that it will just be like constantly having a bottle of oil open so do not put essential oil directly on raw beads. You can put diluted essential oils on your hands and then use your beads if you wish to impart a scent once they're cured. But yeah, all those sorts of practical things. <laughs> mm -hmm. Don't put open candles next to curtains. Watch where the feathers on your altar go. If you have a crystal ball, cover it when you are not using it because it is a lens and it will light your house on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Same for curved bottles of moon water mm. you forget on the ledge when the sun comes up the next day. Uh, mm. I mean, there's some practical if, bits to being a new witch, too. <laughs> oh, there is, yeah. If you like, if you like charcoal discs inside your house, make sure there's a window open. Do not lean over the charcoal disc when you are lighting it and breathe the fumes in. I did that by the beginning. And incense charcoal is not the Ooh. same as barbecue charcoal. Uh, you know, all, all these things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Basic candle safety. If you have a seven day candle that you really do need to leave burning while you're asleep or you're out of the house, put it in your bathtub and run some water in the bottom of the bathtub. That way, if anything happens, it's much much less likely that you light your house on fire if you don't have a bathtub do it in your kitchen sink just make sure there's nothing flammable around hanging pot holders or curtains or anything like that you know mm. lots of those sorts of yeah, they do they do say part of witchcraft is becoming a firefighter <laughs> just to be on the safe side <laughs> that is not what um... i've heard but then <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all, it does make sense, right? I think we've all had our um, abrupt uh, introduction to fire safety via candles early on. 
you didn't grow up in a house with oh, yeah. open candle flames, you got to learn a few practical things. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the funny thing is, when I was, um, the lessons I've learned with candle magic, oh my word, um, I had a, um, a glass dish, it was from a microwave oven, so they're, they're, they're pretty good at holding a lot of heat. Um, that cracked in half mm. on a shelf, so all the wax started flowing all over the place, which means flames. Um, so I, I transferred two metal plates because they can't crack. And uh, I had one, one group of candles burning one day, and it just became this big ball of fire. <laughs> burnt the bookcase. And then it started spitting over the sides, and it's, the bookcase cut and started lighting. <laughs> yeah, heat management is important. So if you don't have yeah. air underneath your charcoal or your candle, put some sand in there as a heat sink so it doesn't crack a Pyrex dish mm. or heat up a metal plate enough to scorch your bookshelf <laughs> or whatever it's setting on. <laughs> That's important. Yeah. Uh, uh, lots of things keep like frying that. frying pan around. <laughs> yeah, if you have open flames, be practical. Um, know how to put it out. Uh, do not throw water mm. on a wax fire. <laughs> uh, you know, smother it with baking soda or cornstarch or not cornstarch, cornstarch is flammable. Don't listen to me. Baking soda um, or straight up salt um, or have a fire extinguisher nearby. Your altar will survive a blast from a fire extinguisher. Um, you will need to rebuild it in place of things, but better than your house burning <laughs> down. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, Jonathan, my comment on cast magic potential was about Jekyll Trey's Master of None. It didn't mean superficiality by chaos magic. Uh, I still think its value is uh, is in absolute immersion. Uh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as we said, I mean, it's just it is people becoming that jackal trays master of an eclectic uh, fashion type thing. Um, Deborah, and I'm sorry, I missed that question. I was going back, and I still can't find it. I don't know what's happened to my on my side. Um, Deborah, where did these spirits come from? <laughs> the ones you feature on Saturdays. Um, uh, hmm, uh, the eastern side of things. <laughs> many, many different areas. Uh, Mesopotamia, etc., etc. Um, however, the difficult thing here is some people will say they are Jin, which means they came from the, the Arabian deserts. Um, some people will equate some of them with Egyptian gods, with Roman gods, with Greek gods. Um, so it depends on everybody's personal gnosis at the end of the day, I think. I'm surprised you don't have a yeah. video on the origin of the Goetic spirits. Because there are so many different opinions. Right, but you could do a bunch of videos on that. Discuss mm. all of that. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, okay, I'll delve into that as well, yeah, and start doing some videos on that. See how many different opinions I can come up with. That should be quite interesting. Mm -hmm. mm. Right. Get back to you on that one, Deborah. Um, let's see, Lady Capera. Oh, gotta run to market. Meatloaf and scallop potatoes for Dindon. Yummy. Oops, let's get again. Scallop potatoes sound good. I might make scallop potatoes for dinner tonight. Mm. 
When's that done? Do you? I'm going to. I'm going to bed after this. So. <laughs> well, it's mid afternoon for me, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, Deborah, I'm starting with getting better at meditation with the help of these glasses. That's great. Glad to hear it. Grounding and focusing. Good stuff. They're definitely the foundations. Uh, the metaphysics. Uh, ah, very clever metaphysics. Um, That's a great name. Our <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Our angels and aspects. <laughs> are angels and demons inner aspects of ourselves, or are they external magical beings? Both. Yes, three. <laughs> yeah, three. <laughs> That's one of those things um, that there's so many answers to. Yeah, I know. It, but you're going to get some people who say they are independent from us, um, but at the same time, even if they are independent beings, everything's connected, so everything is one. Therefore, they are all aspects of ourselves at the end of the day. Some people will say they are archetypes or parts of our own psyche, uh, especially if you go read uh, Goesha from um, Crowdy. He has a whole section in there that talks about them being archetypes and parts of the brain. Um, so I've battled with this for many years. I kept going backwards and forwards from, oh, they are independent from me. No, they're not. They're part of me. They are and going backwards and forwards. At the end of the day, I realized they are both. Um, I was going to say, is light know. a wave or a particle? Exactly. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh. Um, Midnight Blue Witch, Deborah mentioned spirits being featured on Saturdays. Where is that? Oh, it's on my channel, this channel. Here on um, YouTube. I'm just going, yeah, going through the, the Goetic spirits at the moment. Um, Deborah, as witches, who do you pray to? I pray to Mother Holda. Some witches don't. Yeah. Yeah. Some witches don't, uh, I... don't pray. Um, some don't like the term prayer and use terms mm. like um, divination or in conversation with um, I would s hesitate to say I also pray to my ancestors but um, it's more of I have a conversation with them very frequently um, because mm. I, I for me, prayer is a meditation, an offering of an understanding of worth and relationship, in addition to um, an offering exchange process um, that doesn't necessarily have to be physical, So, um, which includes praying to my ancestors under that definition, but it's the way most people see the word prayer how I interact with my ancestors mm -hmm. might not be that way because for a lot of people prayer involves supplication which is definitely part of the pagan worldview that is not unique to Christianity prayer also being definitely part of a pagan worldview and not unique to Christianity um, but I do not engage in supplication with my ancestors but some people do yeah. Yeah. it's that reverence mm-hmm and respect that you give them and, and um, but yeah there's, there's 
was funny. Yeah. And I think that answer is going to be very, very personal and very quite widely for different witches. Because mm -hmm. here we are in the very personal part of the personal path, you know. Um, so, I, I, mm. I don't know. Thinking about many of my traditional practices and traditions I've been part of, I have prayed to those gods, but not in the same private way. More I would consider I was a priestess of those gods, which still involves honor and worth and reverence and that sort of thing. But I guess that's a very technical distinction. I see prayer as something very personal. Um, mm. And priestessing and attending the altar and, and performing those functions of a priest as something more involved in community interaction. I mean, still, there was there's stuff I do as a priest that is done without other people looking on. But that's not the same as prayers to me. Mm. I don't know, but the, uh, again, we're we're splitting hairs about terms of words, and I think um, anybody would, because again, this is a a personal thing, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, as you said, prayer prayer is often seen as a supplication, and it often gets uh, equated with Christianity. Uh, which people are trying to get away from. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they try and get away from such terminology. So mm -hmm. um, it's just a particular practice yeah. that we all do. Yeah. Not, not all. Not all. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think that's another one of those humans doing human things, uh, not in a folk magic way, but in a religious way. I think religious people pray. Um, and there's a lot of different mm. words for that. A lot of different words for that. But especially in our Christian-dominated Western society, most people associate prayer with Christian prayer. You know, hands clasped, head bowed, on your knees, um, kind of praying. And, you know, some of my gods um, expect more supplication than that. They expect prostration. That's the proper way to pray to them. You know, mm. um, which flies in the face of a bunch of what I consider brosa true stuff. That's all. I will not bend my knee before a god. Well, that ain't heathen. <laughs> Heathens were pretty big on flinging themselves upon the ground in front of the idols. Um, but we never say things like, I'm not worthy, because that's, that's not the point. The point is, I recognize the nature of our relationship <laughs> right now. I'm asking for a favor, you know. So oh, just honoring you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, Bartholomew, I've tried many methods of requesting from Goshen Demons. What would you recommend for success? Uh, that could be a very long conversation because we'd have to know exactly what you've tried and what paths you went down and stuff like that. Uh, one thing I would suggest is building a relationship um, with one, uh, just with one of them. Actually building a relationship, uh, not just going to uh, the spirit and saying, I want this, I'll give you this. Um, you know, it's not as respectful as actually building a relationship um, that you can form a bond with. 
Uh, I think that goes with any spirit. It doesn't have to be just the Kaushik demons. Spirits aren't ATMs. You can't insert the right sigil and sign the right code and say the right words and get the payback back out. Mm. Yeah. Um, so do you want to say something? No. <clears throat> oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> you should, uh, oh, okay. uh, you too. <laughs> I think I'm throwing it your side. Uh, Richard, I've <laughs> I've learned that a candle flame smells like burnt nose. <laughs> How very accurate! Oh, if you have like long you... hair, please be mindful when you lean over the altar to do something, <laughs> or a long uh, beard. I mean, the, yeah, this is this is fairly new. I mean, it's only about a year old, <laughs> and I have to keep going. Wait. <laughs> Oh man, early, early on in my craft, um, I went over to a friend's dorm room because we were going to do a ritual and eeny, meeny, miny, mo, I was the one with the most confidence in the room. So I had to be the, the high priestess, you know, none of us were qualified to do any of this stuff. We just had a book and we were going to do it, which fun, but, um, we were not supposed to have open flames in this dorm room. So we had all these little tea light candles and everything, but then we lit some incense and my dumb ass bent right over and stuck the incense <laughs> right in the side <laughs> of my hair. And apparently I had on plenty of hairspray because whoa, up it went. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what the ritual is for. Probably we wanted money or something, but we didn't get it. <laughs> we didn't finish that. <laughs> I've always noted that uh, the mark of a a good priest or priestess is pulling back those long sleeves and tucking back that long hair and beard. <laughs> it's not, yeah. it's not, you know, oh, the great gravitas with which they conduct ritual. It's just, oh, you've been bird before. Cool. Not your first rodeo. It's kind of like when you when you've got a whole bunch of candles that you need to light. You kind of learn how which which pattern to actually light them in without putting your arm over right. them. Oh, oh yeah. crap! I can't Get do that. Ah. Hair smell again. I shouldn't have started on that side of the pentacle. Damn it! <laughs> can't get around on that side. I built the altar too close to the yeah. wall. Shit. Oh, I've got I've got another piece of advice for for new beginners. When you're going to go into a ritual, make a list and make a list of everything. Because the most annoying thing is you make a list of the most important things like chalice, knife, um, incense, um, you know, all of the stuff. And then you get into this ritual, you, you, if you're casting a circle, if you're doing a Wiccan thing or whatever it is, then you've done all this ritual and then you realize you forgot to bring in a lighter or a match to light the candles. Or the wine that goes in the or chalice. You, or the wine. Or you forgot to bring the charcoal black. Uh, block to burn the frankincense on. Or make a full list. No tongs. <laughs> no tongs. The light of charcoal. Yep. Yeah, it, it happens. But that's one of those practical things you get better at with practice. You know, yeah. you, you learn those kinds of things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, uh, mm. I uh, sit down to meditate and I have all of my stuff and then I got to go get up and get the thing. And then I sit down the second time and. <laughs> Okay, and crap. 
go get the thing. <laughs> but I could always tell with like it's been too much because my dog gets fed up with me getting up. Mm. <laughs> he goes and lays on the other side or whatever. <laughs> there, so the, this, this is when you things. need this is when you need a human in your life to be a fetch. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh doll, darling, I forgot this. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, Sarah Magnuson, hello, hello. Um, as a sort of return student to magic, I too have a fire extinguisher. Good. Excellent. Um, <laughs> yes. We, we, like, we like to uh, encourage safety. Um, I really enjoy your podcast. So thanks very much. Thank you. Oh, no, it's good again. Hang on. Let me just go back there. All right. Jonathan. Um, for a new witch creating a servitor for the first time, do you think it's better to start a short death date to first see what happens or to try to work with it for an extended period of improvement? Hmm. I think it's better to set a, a shorter time frame. Um, do you think so? Having made the mistake of creating some lifelong servitors early on, yes. Um, hmm. When you first do something, you can have read everything about it. You don't know what it is till you do it 100%. So, yeah, speaking from experience, I'd say shorter time frames are better. One at a time, when you're new to stuff, servitors are amazing. Um, they're an amazing, powerful tool of the craft. But the first one you make is not going to be perfect. Um, you, there's a lot of things that can go wrong as you're learning, not necessarily like wrong, ooh, bad things happen, just, you know, the learning curve of things. Uh, so I would say start with short singular tasks, um, to create a servitor for, and most servitor magic instruction I find says to do that sort of thing. You know, mm. find a job. This has a concrete, definite, achievable success that you can measure. Did you get a job? Um, it has a finite time frame, and it's a one-off. It's not continually find me new jobs. You know, I'm thinking of the mistake of Mickey Mouse in The Sorcerer's Apprentice, right? And you may create a servitor to find you a, a job, and screw up the programming where it just keeps finding you jobs kind mm. of thing or you may have very well embedded find a job but not the parameters for the job didn't get through somehow and so it finds you a job sweeping floors for one day kind of thing mm. you know so um start with one-off things start with short-term things start with things that are clearly achievable do not start with a servitor to make you happy. You probably don't have a good beat on how that is defined as success or failure. You know? Um, mm. um, so, short-term things. And then, it's easier to learn with those little short-term things because your feedback is much more immediate. You're not waiting a year, two years, three years to review what happened and assess your technique and improve. So, yeah, start with short stuff. I think it's a much, mm, much yeah, better I would, way. Yeah, I would agree with that, actually. Um, so I was, I was just thinking, you know, we, we talk about servitors, and if they are 
extended periods or lifelong servitors um and we talk about them taking on a life of their own and things like that um that's one perspective i was taught in practical Kabbalah that if you forget about your servitor it just dies out there's no it taking a life of its own or, or becoming sentient and everything else um so i think it, in that case still it would be better to make short-term servitors so that you can actually understand what happens uh, in situations like that and actually learn how to deal with them and you know faced with the problem i think both can happen uh sometimes it can find Mm. a new food source and take on a life of its own and achieve independence sometimes it dies Mm. out sometimes it still feeds on you anyways (laughs) whether you consent or not you know they're stuff that can go wrong uh just like anything else in the world you know Mm. Yeah. Um, Ionian said, uh, Kai and Lee, you guys are on fire today. Loving this one. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. This is good. Everybody, in... everybody here discussing everything and all of these things to talk about this is wonderful. Thank you all so much for being here and for asking Thank questions. You. Yep. Uh, Yolani said, uh, I don't pray because I grew up in Christianity and have negative, negative emotions attached to praying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe try call it something else. Uh, I mean, one of the things I actually learned with this was, I mean, you can see, you see this in yoga. Um, you see it in, you see it all over the world. But I remember one of the things which I thought stuck with me was that there are meridians that terminate in the fingertips. So what you're doing is you're actually connecting a circuit mm. and you actually you, you don't put your palms together, you actually create a bit of space and it, it creates a bit of energy between the palms. Um, so that's that one's always stuck with me, actually. Yeah, but you don't have to do that. Um, also, that's not you don't like have to do that, no. the only mudra. But yeah, if, if the mm. term prayer bothers you, don't use it. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. And if you never ever ever want to pray by whatever term that is that's perfectly fine too it's not a requirement mm. no there are some mutus who don't subscribe to um a religious practice at all they don't believe or they don't i don't know if they don't believe but they don't follow gods and goddesses it's purely a purely folk magic um mm-hmm. so you know witchcraft is many many things yeah it's a it's such a big umbrella and it doesn't have to include religion, and it it doesn't have to reclu- include any specific religion either. There mm. are plenty of people who practice witchcraft who are Christian. You know, I talk about a pagan worldview and a heathen worldview because that's where I'm from, and I'm looking mainly at the pagan and heathen communities. Um, mm. You know, and, and people coming through that, and my interaction as a priest, and and that sort of thing with that community, but. There are other communities of magical people um, and, and magical practices, absolutely. Mm. Um, Deborah asked, how does one become a priest in witchcraft? <clears throat> um, Train in a tradition that's important James priest. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there is, there is a training, but also I think there's the same fashion in which people recognize you in a community. And stop calling you that. Um, same as somebody starting to call a particular healer or shaman. Um, 
you know, usually those people don't call themselves that, but they get recognized as such. Yeah. So. I think um, training should go with either one, though. Um, and I don't necessarily mm. always mean uh, join a coven, get trained up, get initiated to the third degree type of thing. But there is training you need to be a leader of people. There is training you need yeah. to help people in times of trouble. Um, you know, uh, counselor skills, uh, sitting with the dying. Um, there's also religious rites, depending upon tradition, to perform. Often priests are expected to be able to perform rites of passage in the community. Uh, marriage and, and death and saining are big ones, you know. So whether it's a going through the training process and, and getting ordination and that sort of thing, and then being recognized as a priest, or if you find yourself in that role in your community, and then getting that kind of training. I think the training is um, important, because even if we have the white thread spiritual component of the gods have decided you should be the priest for this community, you still need to know how to take care of people. Um, you still need mm. to learn those skills. And most of us do not have that out of high school, out of college, unless we specifically went to study it. So mm. I think that's something that, you know, you need to do if, however you end up in a leadership position or in a care position, get some solid training for it. Yeah. Um, Bartholomew asked, uh, how can I, oh, goodness me. This show is going to go on long tonight, guys. Bear with us. Um, how can I build a relationship with a demon? Uh, same way you would with any spirit, any god or goddess or deity or anything. Uh, the simplest way, take imagery which represents that spirit. Um, sit down every morning in meditation. You, because it's a demon you're talking about, you can chant the N as you would a mantra um, to build the energy, to give it honor. You can give it offerings. Um, really simple thing you can do each morning is to take a glass of milk with a bowl and just pour some of the milk in and then drink a little bit of the milk. Um, it's an exchange of energy, it's honoring, it's giving offering, and you just talk to it. Um, you know, same way you would with any spirit, really. Um, if you can't drink milk, um, water's fine, you know. Yeah, water's fine, yeah. Make sure it's cold, clean water that you would want to drink. Um, I think just generally speaking, any kind of making contact with spirits, ancestors, gods, angels, demons, whatever, if you're going to share food, drink with them, make sure it's something you would really want to eat and drink. Mm. Yeah. You have, to, you have to offer it with love, that's all. Mm -hmm. um, so no good to give them something you wouldn't enjoy. Unless, of course, it's something specific to the spirit or the ancestor that they liked yeah which you don't necessarily like um, you're not going to take it yourself but you, you'll offer it to them i had to make this cake mm. i think i've told you about the weird ass cakes i had to make one time that had to be made with the the suet that had onions in it that mm. that was strange and i ate some because i was offering it to my ancestors they had specifically asked for this thing i can't say that i enjoyed it but <laughs> That happens down the line when you've got communication with 
whatever entity spirit mm -hmm. whatever sometimes they ask for some strange things um mm -hmm. but you know generally make it make it potable um you know i put fresh water on my altar every morning fresh cold water um so just i do see some people who um mm, feel like that the spirits should not have human foods somehow mm -hmm. and um i'd say for most spirits starting out as a beginner if that's the spirit you're working with go find somebody who's experienced with that spirit because that's a pretty good sign that you may not be working with a spirit that is trustworthy not always but it's one of those mm -hmm. things that comes up that you should probably look a little more into yeah. Also, in reference to giving offerings and, and taking it yourself, if you are giving the offering and eating at the same time or drinking at the same time, you are um, having a meal with. Mm. That's that is often different to giving an offering, leaving it there, walking away, then coming back, taking it away, and then eating it. Um, that's often considered to be quite bad. Yeah. Yeah. There are very few yeah. exceptions where you eat an offering after you've given it to the gods or the yeah. spirits. But if you something. share it, if you're sharing, it's different. Yeah. But, but that also depends on tradition and the specific mm. place you are in the tradition and the specific entities too. So <laughs> there's no absolute answer yeah. to anything. Uh, no. But Just be aware of your, of what, what tradition you're actually following. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, be aware of the tradition you're following, definitely. Mm. Um, Deborah gave us a gift. Mm. I'm not sure what it is, though. Never memberships. Seen that before. It's a... Oh, is it memberships? Okay. Yep, I can see them because uh, you're the one who owns the channel. So, memberships to several okay. people. Thank you. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, let me just check. Deborah, uh, it seems to me that practicing witchcraft should be done with knowledge and respect, nothing to give half to yourself. To, of, sorry, nothing to give half of yourself to. No, um, you definitely need to give your whole self over to it. Uh, no half measures. Um, you know, it's not like we, are, we often talk about Christians that sin during the week and then go to church on a Sunday to have all their sins forgiven. Yeah. Not really how to do it. Uh, hypocrisy yeah. will earn you nothing in witchcraft. But also, I think it was Aunt Jet and Practical Magic that said you can't look down your nose at something while you practice witchcraft. You know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you give you give all of yourself to it. You decide you're going to do it or not. Um, the people There are people who do look down their nose and yet want the benefits of witchcraft. Um, they will come under cover of night and they will pay for a reading, but don't tell anybody about it. How dare, you know, they know that they're seeing a witch or, you know, mm. they'll ask for a spell or they'll ask for a tea or something else, but then they don't want anybody to know. And there will always be people like that. That's why there are professional mm. witches that can do that work. Um, because people need... People need the healing of the craft, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, but you yourself as a practitioner 
can't make headway if you um, do not fully dedicate yourself to the process. That doesn't mm. necessarily mean make it a full-time job. You don't have to do that. The, the end of the witchcraft path is not professional witch or occult shop owner or book author. Um, <laughs> there's, there's plenty of other ways uh, to end up as an accomplished, experienced witch. Uh, I heard Deborah said I, I thought your beard looked shorter. No, I think that was your comment longer. to the to catching on fire. <laughs> I think it's just it, it's dark over there, so it looks a bit shorter. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. You do have that that darker patch there. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, am I saying this right now? So, Manx. That's what I would say. Is that right? Okay, there we go. Um, sure, they can. There's something us. that in, yeah, there's something that in the past, I uh, don't know who or what I had a very negative experience with, been years since, and to this day I can still feel it around on a regular basis. The negativity back then was the fault of my own, I believe, and their presence now doesn't feel as negative. Any any rec recommended course of action in figuring out who or what this may be. I think if it was a, if it if it feels negative, and it you've had negative effects, uh, negative responses, physically, mentally, emotionally, um, you don't want to know what it is. Just get rid of it. I disagree. Um, um, yeah. If you you say the negativity was the fault of your own, and it's still around, it may just be a part of the self that you haven't integrated. Um, I tend to be a figure out what it is before choosing an action kind of person because I don't think all negativity is bad. Um, mm. You know, um, so course of action to figure out who or what it is. My answer is divination. Um, whether you do that yourself, whether you go to someone to have that done, both. Um, you know, I hear frequently in the tarot world that people uh, don't like when people read or shop. Oh, I went to this reader for this and that sort of thing. And what they mean in that case is just going to a reader until someone tells you what you want to hear. That's not useful. That's annoying. But if you're actually approaching it, you know, from I really do want to hear what this is, I really am open to whatever the answer is, and you want to go to a couple of readers, um, I think that's okay. Not every reader does. But I'm of the opinion if you can have several people confirm the same thing, then that's more likely to be true, and divination is not 100%. Um, so, you know, just the thing is be respectful about it. Um, don't lie to people about it, and don't, don't read or shop just to get the answer you want, uh, which is the hardest thing. Uh, to remove our desire for the answer we want when we do any sort of divination. That's why it's hard to read for ourselves, because it's hard to separate yourself. Um, but that's something I have on my list of advice for new witches, is divination is part of magic. You need a form of divination that you can do. That is a skill you need to develop. 
it doesn't have to be big and complex. It doesn't have to be, um, you don't have to be like amazing at it, but you need something uh, that you can do for yourself as a form of divination. You can always go to other readers and that sort of thing, um, but whether, you know, it's just reading signs, um, using a pendulum, reading tarot, just reading playing cards or oracle cards, whatever it is, it can be very simple, but you need something. And there's a lot, a lot of different kinds of divination, a lot of different ways to do things, and you should survey them like you survey many other things early on in your uh, career uh, studying witchcraft. You may get a form of divination that goes along with the traditional path you're studying. And you will be trained in that to go along with that traditional path. Um, if you're doing it on your own, like lots of people are, you know, I really recommend trying out several of them and seeing which one you have some success with. Once you find a place where you have some success, you can build from that. But I do think everybody needs a divination skill in their pocket. Just at least a yes, no, or um, confirmation or deny kind of thing. Mm. All right. Um, there's still a lot of questions. I, my chat just jumped all of a sudden. I got a load of new messages and I saw the gifting something's wrong with my chat over here okay next in line we've got uh jonathan church says short-term servitor to start one at a time to start thumbs up thanks your reasoning makes a lot of sense tonight has been fun thanks guys thanks uh dr wall well. thank you what no uh, i've got bartholomew next online i've got dr wall next how do you use a cauldron as an herbal witch other than incense burner function I, it says intense but i'm going to assume it means incense because yay autocorrect for helping us so i would never put fire in my cauldron um <laughs> that's that's mm. one of those things that really upsets me as a traditional witch when i see people do it i completely understand that it is part of modern pagan practices and many of them do use cauldrons as a container for fire um, to me, the cauldron is the womb of the mother, and I am not going to light a fire in her crotch and be punished for it. That sounds like a really dumb idea. Um, so the cauldron is, um, well, a big soup pot most often. It is where the sacred food is prepared and blessed, and sometimes it's where the flout is, is uh, collected, but it is a container for holy liquids. Um, and it's often, you know, what is used to serve the people for the blessing after the ritual, or it's where the offering is collected. Sometimes it's used to brew the liquids that will be used to pour the ghost roads. Um, but it's always, uh, a vessel for a holy kind of liquid. Um, depends upon the ritual, of course. Uh, but... I, I don't put fire in it. I don't put anything in my cauldron that I wouldn't eat. Because I use the same cauldron again and again. I rarely call it a cauldron. I usually call it a Dutch oven, because that's what it is. <laughs> um, but when I have um, like big public rituals that are inside and I can't build a fire and set the Dutch oven over it or put it on a tripod, 
um, I will often use a crock pot because it keeps the food warm. It does the same thing, you know, and I'm, I'm not opposed to uh, modernizing our rituals, uh, being a very practical kind of witch. But some people prefer the, the aesthetics, you know, and would uh, use like a, a cauldron shaped cauldron and preheat what's going in there so that it goes in boiling um, to keep it keep it going and keep it uh, producing food and abundance that is still safe because by the time we get to the end of the witch roll you don't want to be worrying about food safety that it's been sitting out at room temperature in the danger zone for too long so that's mm. my use can I can I suggest that we do a, a second part next week and then we continue with all the questions? Because we're going to be going on for another hour, I think. To continue. Oh. I don't know that we have that many more questions. Okay. I think we can probably... Well, should we carry on then? I think we can probably finish up in the next 15, 20 minutes. Is that okay? Okay. All right. So we're, get, we're going to cut it off. Uh... Well, at uh, now, Sarah Mag Magnuson. Okay. Okay. Just in case, just in case anything new comes through. If uh, there's lots more questions after that, then we'll have to follow up part two. Okay. Bartholomew Pinecone, what is the most common reason you've seen for people's initiation into magic? knowledge um quite often power mm. some people are power hungry and they want to get into magic to gain more power i wasn't even thinking down that road like it would be a choice yeah it depends what we, we mean by initiation into magic also yeah i don't really see it there as a many... choice no I mean, if we consider it just to be entering into magic, entering into a path in order to get... If you're asking a person why did they pursue training in magic, there's going to be a thousand different answers because it's very personal. Mm. I mean, from my perspective is, you know, the old rich that reads a lot of people's tarot cards and astrology charts. Destiny! Uh... <laughs> but um, I know not everybody believes in fate and free will the way I do. Uh, so mm. I, I think that's one of those personal things. I don't know that I, I can't think of a common thread to that story um, mm. that I've heard from people because everybody's answer is extremely personal. So I can't, whether it's viewed as their choice or, or, or not, they're all such mm. personal stories. Yeah. Uh, Richard says tonight's chat is a great one. I am sure there will have to be a part two. I think so. This has been a fantastic chat tonight, though. Um, just tell me if I'm skipping anything, because I'm not sure I'm actually getting anything here. Mm -hmm. um, Schrodinger's cats. Uh, is there any way to realistically protect myself from spirits who can influence physical reality? 
I've had poltergeist before and I don't know what to use to avoid that in the future. Okay, we have done a couple of shows uh, where we talked about this sort of stuff and went much more in depth. So, mm. um, we've got a banishing show. So that's the title, Banishing. We That one aired on the 14th of January this year. Um, we also did one about protection and shielding, I think. Yeah, I'm trying to or find... Or was that my series? You, Lee did a whole series on protection and shielding last month. Uh, so there's four of those. Um, we do actually have two shows on divination, by the way. Uh, those were in July last year. Um, Psychic Attack and Defense. We did a show. Uh, that was in June of last year. Uh, protection and Cleansing. We did a show that was in April 9th of last year. So we have discussed that a lot. Um, this is one of those things where the right answer is the personal answer because your situation has uh, more details involved than I bet you can put into a uh, chat comment, you know. Um, so I would go look through those and see if we talked about something close to your situation. And then I would recommend join us in the Discord where we can talk about it at length. Mm. Um, and actually get into your situation and, and make recommendations. So. Yeah. Especially in reference to Poltergeist, because I've used a few things. Yeah. But we did talk about Poltergeist um, when we did the protection and cleansing show, I'm quite certain. Mm. I hope that's when we talked about I know we've talked about Poltergeist. Um, I feel like we did a show on hauntings, but I can't find that that might have been a hearthfire chat and we don't record those so. no i don't think we did i remember we, we spoke about poltergeist and thought forms mm -hmm. some stage yeah so yeah. yeah go back and look up those yeah and... otherwise do definitely join us in, in on the discord server um as a as I said, we can get more in-depth into um, you know, your situation, your personal situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. Bartholomew uh, said, thank you so much. I have some wine I really love, and the first thing I thought it would be so good to offer, but I wanted some too. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we can share. Yep, we can share. Um no, as long as it's respectful and honoring, we share we share ourselves uh, with the spirits. Darth um, me asked, uh, as for confirmation of presence uh, when consulting spirit, can I use divination? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, don't learn a divination method that way. Uh, but if you've already yeah. got a divination method that uh, you can reliably use, then absolutely. I I love my pendulum and my board when communicating with spirits. It makes things go a lot faster. So, um, and it doesn't have to be that method, whatever method you're using. 
Just make sure that you're already reliably good at it. Don't have to be perfect. Don't have to be amazing. Um, and then take that amount of reliability into account in your conversation with spirit, uh, whatever that is. Um, again, always test the spirits. Don't just trust whatever anybody says. You know, uh, just keep that in mind. It's not, not mm. ooh, scary. Just be reasonable. Mm. Um, and, uh, is it Dr. Wag? Did I say that right? That might be. I'm not sure. Uh, thank you for the uh, contribution. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Um, Deborah, so, <laughs> oh, big one, Deborah. Um, so what books do you recommend for the witch? S. Connolly. Uh, no, S. S. Connolly I'd recommend for demonolatry only, but for the witch, there are many, 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 because it's, yeah. it's a big, broad word. Depends on, mm. uh, yeah, depends on what kind of witch, what you're interested in, what you yeah. want to do, that sort of thing. Uh, that's one of those things we can talk about more on the Discord. But, you know, also, this show that we do on Fridays, we kind of steer it towards traditional witchcraft. Obviously, I'm also an astrologer and an herbalist and a diviner. Lee is also a demonologer, and we talk about those things, too. Um, but most of the rest of Lee's channel is demonolatry and other forms mm. of um, ceremonial and chaos magic, I'd say, right? Just kind of broad strokes. So yeah, we're talking about different things at different times on different days. <laughs> just, <laughs> just to be a bit confusing. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but... This isn't necessarily a demonolatry show, or is the witchcraft we're talking here all about always demonolatry? Because that's just one one path among many, many, many things that fall under that umbrella of witchcraft. Mm. Yeah, I do like this show to be more focused on traditional witchcraft. Um, obviously, I mean, there's going to be other things that come into it. Um, but yeah. I think, Greg, get onto the Discord server, give us a shout, and um, mention what, well, I mean, if you don't know what type of witchcraft you want to well, delve into. Then, what are you yeah. interested in, you know? Yeah, what are you interested in? What, what, what is it that drew you to the idea of witchcraft? What was the shiny mm. thing that you followed down the, you know, the rabbit hole kind of stuff? Um, but, like... All the spirits that are featured in the in Lee's Goetic Demon series, those are part of demonolatry, you know. But <clears throat> they're not part of my witchcraft. They're not part of other people's witchcraft, but they are part of some people's. So, you know, um, I just, I'm not trying to say you can't do all that stuff. Obviously, Lee is sitting right here doing all of that stuff. I'm just trying to clarify and hopefully unmuddy the waters a bit it's a very it's a very big word it's yeah a broad word yeah, yeah. Co covers many 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 things mm -hmm. um <clears throat> i never said end up healing people things etc not sure what's in reference to so we're too far behind in the chat <laughs> yeah i know i think we okay let's 
Let's speed on through. Um, Midnight Blue Witch. Uh, milk keeps being mentioned here. What is the significance of milk? Um... <laughs> oh, I know. Go on. It it's... comes from cows. Well, not always. <laughs> um, haven't you just um, started studying a new path and offering to a new god that happens to really like milk offerings? And so all this call you've been saying that you're finally listening to and I think there's a lot more behind the call that you haven't been listening to that is pouring in mm. <laughs> <laughs> just saying yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, generally speaking in witchcraft I recommend people use water as an offering uh, potable cold pleasant water um because it's simple and everyone has access to it and it is definitely life-giving there are some traditions and regions of the world where milk is more traditionally given because it is more often potable than water um because mm. you know there's lots of uh questions throughout history about the potability of water and the safety of drinking water and that sort of thing. If you get into Egyptian religion, most of your offerings are going to be beer because it's more potable than water in that time and place. And uh, so I, that's my reasoning for that sort of thing. I don't think there's mm -hmm. any um, absolute requirements except that it be something you can drink. Mm. Makes sense. Um, let's just see where are we? Peanut butter. Um, button. How do you get rid of or? Oh, sorry, button. Um, how do you get rid of or have someone something to stop spiritually attacking you from multiple dimensions? We talked about this in our psychic attack and defense show. Um, yeah. In June of I've looked back through the. I've looked back through the live live chats. We've done. We've actually done a few shows on uh, protection, magic, psychic, self defense, and stuff like that. And just like we were saying earlier, your situation is very likely much more complex than just that question. So, uh, you know, if you want to continue mm. the discussion, join us on the Discord server. We'd be happy to to talk to you about it. But um, I hesitate to recommend anything uh, without much information. Yeah, yeah, I definitely need more details. Um, solemn, solemn, solemn Sun, good day all. Hope all is well. Thank you for answering my question in your Ask Leave It. Uh, very informative. It's a pleasure. Um, acerbic Manx. Acerbic Manx is just a combination of two nicknames I've had Acerbic and Manxone. Um, there's people mowing the lawn out back, so I didn't catch all of your response. I'll have to go back to catch the reply when hearing it is more possible. Thanks for the response, though. Okay, no, it's not a problem. Um, it gets recorded, so you can watch it later. Yep. Chat's yep. there and everything, so. Um, the Ionian, you can use oils and herbs in your cauldrons. I would just make sure, just like a mortar and pestle, keep track of what's poisonous and what's not, and don't mix the two. You do not want to put, you know, 
a whole bunch of pennyroyal oil in your cauldron and then try to make soup the next week, it will taste terrible and probably give you a severe case of the runs, maybe some vomiting too. <laughs> you know, general safety. Um, should add that on it with fire safety, you know, um, sometimes the herbs and plants and materials that we work with are not something you can put in your mouth. So don't use food stuff for non-food safe things. I mean, um, there's definitely the kitchen witchery, you know, path of things where your wooden spoon and your kitchen knife are the most important tools, but you're going to have to have a separate set if you're going to use stuff that you can't eat. So. Mm. Yeah. Um, Sarah said, I love the crockpot replacement. I use an Instapot. Had thought to use it that way. Um, I think I could definitely make hey a good stew with an Instapot in the middle of ritual, and we'll have to do that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yonia said, uh, Don't forget to thumbs up and share the show with your circle. I agree, yes. Absolutely. Thumbs up, give it a share. Yep. If you want to help us out, know. yep, tell people about it. Mm. Um, Shrouding with Cat, thank you. I'll check the video soon. Uh, thank you for People's Library. Thank you for the contribution. Thank you very much. You all and been, thank you to Deborah yeah. for gifting memberships. Yeah, thank you. You all have been so wonderful today. This was amazing. I know we ran long, two and a half hours, but sometimes mm. you just got a lot to chat about, and everybody's questions were so wonderful. Really appreciate it. Hopefully we can yeah. have this kind of energy again on another subject. But as Lee was saying, if there really are more questions, and we, didn't, and we cut you off too soon for time, please Join us in the Discord, share your questions. Um, we may decide that there's enough to do another show with. Um, or, mm -hmm. you know, if you want us to do another show like this, just tell us, really. Um, we do take topics and suggestions. We are open to that. We want to know what you want to know and what you want to talk about. Yeah, well, definitely think we should do another show like similar to this. Um, this, was a, this was really a great show. Thanks, everybody. I have one more thing on my list I want to say that I wrote down to talk about today. And that is um, the self is the most valuable tool and the most malleable target of your magic you will ever have. Mm. Cool. Uh, yeah, I so definitely do this again, please. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. I feel strange saying goodbye to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> we bonded. We bonded. Uh, we did. We did. It's great. Great. Uh, <laughs> Yanni said, "Wise guy, Jonathan, have a great week. Uh, blessed, to, blessed, blessed be everybody." Yeah. Um, and as of it, Max, adios. Uh, hope everyone has a good day and night. Yeah. All right then. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, next week we're doing walk cutting and magical gardening. So join us for that one. Yeah. And hope to get lots of questions as well. Yeah. So all your gardening so questions. All be for all be for Kai. All your plant witch <laughs> questions. <laughs> I'm sure you've talked to a plant spirit or two. 
You talk to lots of spirits. Oh, uh, yeah. Lots and lots of spirits. Yeah, I got, ch <laughs> I got chased by one. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll be recounting that story next week. <laughs> yep, I bet. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay, then. Have a great one, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thank you all. Bye. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us today in the Black Hat Chat. Have a look in the description of this podcast or in the About section for all of our links and tune in next week for another exciting chat.